And welcome to Pints in Politics, the August 1st, 2019 edition. This is edition number 65. My name is Bill Templeman. Joining me tonight in our cozy studio is our poets <laughs> panel. We have poet Justin Millian, uh, poet and publisher Alicia Rabasha, artist at large Esther Vincent, <laughs> and creative writer Joel Levesque. Thank you very much, everyone, for coming by to the sauna. Thank you, Bell. Hello. And it's Rubisha, by the way. Rubisha. 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 That's Everyone. only the fourth time I've done that. <laughs> Rubisha. Okay. Now, we are, we are about listening to some poems tonight and talking about poetry. I have a few questions. Do you want to start with a question, or do people feel like jumping right into reading a poem? Let's start with a question. All right, yeah? a question, a question. All right. So, in preparation tonight for tonight's show, uh, Justin and I talked about sensitive issues and how to know when you're reading, uh, when one is reading one's poem in public, what an audience is ready to hear. For example, an Ottawa-area poet I know, named Ken Victor, whose work appeared on this podcast back in April, recently wrote a very unsettling poem about a wartime atrocity set in Vietnam. Uh, What is even more disturbing about Ken's poem is uh, that it is a rendering of a a putative uh, disclosure. In other words, the horror described in this poem has more than just imaginative roots. The poem recounts a gang rape and a murder. Now, I imagine there are many audiences for which this poem would be too much. So how how does the the reader of the poem, how does the poet draw a line? What is the role of trigger warnings in such a case? Do any of you use trigger warnings when you read? I don't use trigger warnings when I read. This is, my name is Justin Million, by the way. I don't use trigger warnings when I read. I would, uh, but it is a tough issue. I would hope that anyone who is at a poetry reading would be aware of the fact that uh, creative license is a thing, that that context is also a big thing. But if somebody, you know, there is that fear, I guess, when you're reading maybe certain things that somebody might walk into the room at an inopportune time, uh, um, or um, maybe only take away something that they've already kind of brought to the reading. I was watching um, Afterlife last night, which is a Ricky Gervais show. Um, It's hit and miss, but there's a lot of hits in it. But uh, he talks about the idea of the fact that free speech is a thing only until you like something or until you hear something that you don't like. (laughs) I, <laughs> and I and I think that um, resonates a lot today. So yeah, I mean, I I don't. It is tough. You don't want to. You don't want anyone at a poetry reading to feel like they don't belong there. Um, you don't want to read something that's going to affect someone. But I mean, it, speaking of that show, Afterlife, you can't. There's a scene with a stand-up comedian. <coughs> pardon me. Who's um, telling a joke about suicide? as the protagonist has been contemplating suicide for the last few weeks, um, how do you know the state of your audience? Um, it's it's almost impossible to know. So if you were to attempt to account for anything that might be offensive in an audience, you would be relegated to reading something extremely safe or the way you you have phrased it has to be perfect. 
right. has to be beyond reproach, which is obviously extremely difficult to do. Does anybody else? Well, now, radio programs, if, for example, there's a thing on the current, on the CBC radio this winter on uh, sex trade, on sex trade workers, and, uh, and there was a warning beforehand, there's graphic content is about to follow, this may not be appropriate for younger listeners. And now that's on the public radio. Uh, what about a public poetry um, so, at least, this needs to be closer. Um, so, I would say that if I had content that I felt needed a warning, I would give it a warning. I've, as a publisher, I've given a play a w- content warning, which again was related to suicide. Actually, there was a hanging in the play, or a person hung themselves in the play, and I wanted to make sure that that was clear to anyone picking it up that there was going to be that content. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, should I repeat that? No. Here okay. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely think the content warnings are important. I think if there's no way to, as Justin just said, to know what state your audience is in. And, like, I've been in situations where I would have appreciated a content warning for sure. Um, I remember at a forum there was a speaker talking about suicide, and there was not really a warning about that. And right. it was something that I kind of had a bit of trouble with myself, and so it was intense to suddenly be in a room where he was describing pretty graphically his own suicide attempt. And so in a case like that, like <laughs> it seems like a no-brainer to include a little bit of a warning for people. Okay. There's another thing that I wanted to raise, uh, another question. We can get into it now, or we can get into readings. Come uh, we're in the process of in a place where we can edit. I can jump in on one trigger warning sure. comment. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Hi, this is Esther Vincent's voice. Um, and so this is not specifically related to poetry, but it is related to public performance. Um, I have also worked quite a bit in theater. And um, a couple of times in... Uh, my career um, have dealt with shows that have been quite um, that touch on really sensitive topics. One of them mm-hmm. being suicide, and um, sort of relate to, to Alicia's recent comment. Um, and another one is sort of a black comedy involving um, a family post funeral. And um, in the first instance. Um, the show that I was involved with was some time ago. It was in the early 90s, and uh, we did the show. Um, it is definitely a black comedy, and most of the audience loved it, except one woman who was an acquaintance of an acquaintance. And it came back to me some weeks later that she was very upset by the play because she had actually only just attended her own father's funeral. And as a result, she felt like the show was in bad taste because it made a mockery of death and funerals. And I remember at the time being really flummoxed by this because the show is a black comedy. um, And the promotional materials sort of implied that this was a black comedy about death. So although trigger warnings weren't a thing at the time, we sort of thought it was billed appropriately. And so in some ways I was kind of like, well, why would you then go to a show that is filmed as a, or that is billed as a black comedy about death if you feel like you're already sensitive? But then often, especially post death and in the, you know, fog of grief, we don't think of these things. She's probably just thinking I'm going to go see this relaxing show and ended up having quite an unpleasant experience. So I think one of the things about trigger warnings is that we never know exactly what it is that people are going be triggered by and yes Yes. there is a list of things that are common 
Um, so yeah, for example, you know, you reference the, the, the reference to rape in the one poem, suicide, these are things. So sure, that could be included, but then at the same time, as a creative person, sometimes putting that in there creates what, of course, is known in these days as a spoiler. Yes. So the show that I did recently, which is my own, um, The Missing Euchre Player, has five different endings, and in one of the endings, the main character commits suicide. And so to bill this show as having a trigger warning saying this contains suicide is, A, inaccurate, because four of the five endings, which mm. are randomly done, do not. In fact, one of the endings is really quite positive and happy and encouraging. The show does speak of suicide, so we could put something along the lines of a trigger warning. Or, you know, I actually prefer the term content warning rather than trigger warning. Um, so we could put a content warning saying things like mature subject matter and or, you know, discussion of suicidal ideation or something like that. Yeah. But I do sort of think... Something like mature subject matter, which is a thing that has existed for some time, may be sometimes sufficient to cover that. And if somebody's feeling on any given day, as we all do, particularly sensitive to the harshness of life, that it could be potentially up to that person to say, you know what, I'm feeling a little shaky today. Maybe I'm not going to go into the mature subject matter or slash sexual violence or whatever. And those, those warnings kind of already exist. So for me, I think those content warnings are valuable. Mm-hmm. But I do think they can be used judiciously in such a way that we're not simultaneously creating spoiler for the show and or the poem and at the same time um, allowing people enough space to make their own decisions about what they can handle at any given time. Sure, Justin. I was just I was just going to say riffing on this <laughs> riffing on this show, this Ricky Gervais show, because it's fresh in my mind. I, I would picture this as a show that could actually be extremely cathartic um, for people that are in, um, in a situation in which they are suicidal, in, in a position of grief. Um, but the show, if, if, if anyone's seen it, it's six episodes. Um, the character goes through some extremely dark territory, like trying heroin, um, just because it doesn't matter. He, he refers to his ability... Um, to kind of do and say whatever he wants as a superpower because he's already decided to commit suicide, but he hasn't done it yet. Um, so for somebody who could be in that state that most people um, probably can't relate to in the moment, um, to see um, the show kind of flesh out all of these problems and to resolve in a way that is positive um, might actually just be what that person might need. Mm. So the, to the darker stages leading to other things that, um, again, uh, leading to some kind of catharsis, if, if there was just the immediate problem and then the catharsis without any of the darkness in between, there's no roadmap to be, uh, sorry to say, but to be happy or yes. to be, you know, content or whatever word you want to use. So I think it is... Sure. In especially, you know, given this case study of the show, it is important, I think, to show the stages of how that can work out or how it can resolve itself. Um, and in order to do that, you have to show the really dark parts, because if you don't, it's disingenuous to the person. The person who is possibly feeling that is going to watch and like, well, that's not me. Um, you know, they're, or they're, or they're, they're, you know, they're, they're making light of this. Right. Um, and it's not light. It, it's, it's the right. complete opposite. 
Um, so you might actually want that harsh, extremely dark, harsh reality um, present in order to actually mirror what is actually happening with people as opposed to just glossing over. You know, uh, Justin, when I, I put your remark next to what Esther uh, just said, a penny dropped for me. That's why summer stock theater is light, right? Like people on vacation, mm. straw hat, you know, shorts, T-shirts, they want light. They don't want, as you say, the hard issues of life. So, and also something else that trigger me, triggers for me is that... Um, Triggers. I shouldn't have used the word. That plugged that in for me. Content. <laughs> content. Is that um, when you go to a poetry reading, you're not going to uh, a Sunday school session. This is not, uh, uh, you know, the daily. Uh, well, the daily news is sometimes pretty heavy. But 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 this is not, you know, family conversation. This is a creative space, as you say. Um, maybe important to draw the distinction between um, going to see theater or watching television um, versus attending an event where somebody is um, reading something to you, reading poetry or reading a work of creative fiction. Um, I think that people are more willing to have these kinds of transform, or not even willing, it just happens subconsciously <laughs> because of the medium that you have. You can have these kind of, kinds of transformative, um, cathartic, potentially therapeutic experiences when you're on a journey with a character because there's some kind of um, vicarious uh, um, understanding happening. Um, and it's th that makes you feel... Um, safe <laughs> or m maybe me personally um safe when i'm watching the ex experiences of a character being performed but when someone is reading a poem that is deeply personal uh the vulnerability that's expressed you don't i i feel like audiences don't often feel there, there can be an alien a real alienating effect that happens um and uh it, i I'm not sure which conclusions I want to draw here, but just just to draw the distinction between, um, the, yeah, the 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 type of performance, I guess is. Yeah. 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 I, I know some spoken word performances I've been to. I've been because I don't know the genre well. I'm I'm a page writer and mm. been reading what I've written on pages for decades but spoken word is a relatively new field to me and uh, at the old spill I, I sat in on some spoken word performance I, and exactly what you just said I was surprised at not not, not taken aback but said, wow like he or she is really opening the kimono like mm. this is where they're at and they of course they received big kudos from the audience for doing that and I thought, is that different from what we do in page poetry? And I don't have an answer there. 
Speaking of page poetry, <laughs> if anyone has one, the, the, the I was just going to say to your last point, Bill, I had uh, Jonathan Bennett in to the Show and Tell Poetry Series. Jonathan Bennett is a, a great poet. He was, uh, I was happy to have him into the series. Um, he, he read a poem at one point that was about his son, and he got, he was noticeably emotional on stage. Um, and it, to the point where he had to kind of stop himself, readjust, read the poem. And he apologized to the crowd, as poets do, and then proceeded. Uh, and then after the reading, he apologized to me personally for having, um, you know, it had been, you know, it, 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 I guess, it, I can't remember his exact words, but something bordering on, you know, like, I'm sorry for, to be so unprofessional, something like that. It's very Canadian. <laughs> well, it is, Jonathan's Australian. It, it, well, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, but also, it was, it was entirely um, unnecessary. Yeah. I, I told Jonathan that, uh, and not to, you know, revel in, in um, the emotion that he was feeling. That's not what I mean. Um, not anything as salacious as that, but... I find that when a poet is reading something that's especially affective and they do break down to a certain degree on stage, there, there's, a, there's a reassessment by the audience. Um, you may have just been kind of sitting idly or, you know, waiting for a word to affect you, and then all of a sudden something, that, something will happen like that where a poet gets emotional outside of the... And it, all of a sudden it, it reminds you that... This is, it reminds you of everything. The artifice of the performance, um, of the fact that we're all sitting in this bar. We all decided to come here together to hear what people had to say. All of a sudden, the, again, the artifice of the reading is broken and it yes. becomes something very much, uh, primal. Like we're all very much in it together now. And it allows everybody to kind of reset and pay particular attention to what is about to be read. And I would, uh, like my, the, the, jerk in me wishes that almost every poem was that way yes. now of course i wouldn't want every reader to be so affected by what they're about to read that they're breaking down with every poem but if that's the case again as somebody who organizes them it, it makes for a better reading and not only that it it likely uh, makes for a better experience for the audience uh, so it, it's 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 hard it's not like i try to book people who are going to break down emotionally <laughs> um <laughs> Obviously, um, but if I could, uh, maybe I would. <laughs> That's terrible. But but I mean, it, it, I I I liken it to when you know Jimmy Fallon and everybody who used to like Saturday Night Live, you know, when he was on. I'm sure the actors hated how he would break character all the time and laugh at the jokes. But for the audience, it was something special, right? And that's what happens when a poet all of a sudden really feels the words that, like, if they were reading it at home, I'm sure they probably didn't break down. But because of that dynamic that happens in a live audience, they might. I've done it before. I did it in June, um, reading a poem about my mom because my mom was there. Right. <laughs> or reading a poem about my sister's dead dog who just passed recently because she was there. Right. Um, and I'm not embarrassed by that. Why should I be? That, that's the whole point. That's the impetus of what I'm reading, is that emotion. Okay.
Um, so I posted this poem on the Facebook there, um, as, as some of us are wont to do. Um, and this is a poem that I wrote for my father on Father's Day this year. And I had, as my mother was dying um, of uh, dementia, not of dementia, while she had dementia, she was also dying. And I ended up writing poetry to her because it was a way to communicate with her. She loved music and I could write poems of the things that I wanted to say to her that she at this point in her life was no longer able to understand. And I'd never written my father a poem and I posted this poem online, which I'll read shortly. Sure. And um, it talks about some of the more difficult things in my relationship with my father. And one of the things that I haven't done with this, because I haven't rewritten it, um, inserted myself so much into this poem as I did later on in the comments. So this poem resonated with a number of people. And um, it is about a difficult subject, and it's about difficult families and, and a little bit about um, emotional abuse. So I will lay this on you sure. and then tell you a little bit about what happened in the comment sections afterwards. Dad, I've never written you a poem. It just never occurred to me. Mom, in her ending days, she could hear music when she didn't understand words. She still understood songs. That's what brought me to poetry. I could sing to myself the songs I wished she could understand. But you, dead for decades, I just speak to you like you were right beside me. My achievements, my failures, my lost moments, so many of those. You're always here in the air around me. I breathe your presence everywhere I go for better or for worse. And there was plenty of worse, wasn't there? All those years of fighting, pounding on doors, throwing things, a late afternoon album listen thrown across the room in a fit of pique, because so much of what you hoped the world would be wasn't. Even the idea of hope slipping away into a new world order. You wanted kindness, generosity, honesty, cooperation. You wanted all people to be encouraged to see and think and make good. Instead, you saw greed breathing down your neck, telling you what to do, signing your paycheck. From a green treed park view to dark and fluorescent lights, they forced you to descend through all your levels of what fresh hell is this. And you had to take it. You couldn't take it. You took it out on us because you didn't know any other way. And I took it in. There's always someone who wants to tell you what you should do to make them more money, to lure you, to willing indenture. Your anger taught me how to say no to that. Your life taught me that I didn't want that life. Your anger taught me a lot of things. But there was more to you than anger, your smarts, your laugh, and the way you loved. You loved freely. You loved freedom. You loved art and people and words and flowers and good photographs and your friends. You loved your friends fiercely and proudly. You were always so proud of everyone. Everyone who would think for themselves, do their own thing, make their own way, make their own art, make their own groove. So groovy, baby. You loved it all so much. But nothing did you love so much as you loved us. He had a funny way of showing it, I once said to Mum when we were getting to know each other differently after you died. And she laughed, cried, and so did I. Dad, 25 years I hear your voice. I hold your pride, I feel your love, I am your love and rage and hope. And now with all our years of getting to know each other differently, when I think of you and tell you of my life, I can say I hear you, I know you, and I'm still listening. Whoa. So I, I posted that poem about my father, and yeah. 
the comment section after that, people were very um, engaged with the poem. They were really interested to talk about their own experiences yeah. of family dynamics and yes. also the negative family dynamics. Yes. And what I ended up commenting about later on that I have not included in the poem but will do in a rewrite is how I, infa- I inherited my father's rage. I am a rageful person. I am. I operate on rage, right. and everything I do is fueled by this cauldron of rage I have inside me that I have, right. through many years of therapy and very difficult thinking, um, come <laughs> to learn how to mostly keep under wraps and sure. use for the powers of good as much as possible. And and I think that the, this is one of the things where this poem, hopefully once it's crafted, will do because the most common comment in that section was no one talks about this stuff yes no one talks about these subtle interior family dynamics or sometimes the gross family dynamics because we have been taught to hush it and i think this is one of the things where poetry is it's one of the tools one of the ways that poetry is a tool one of the things that poetry is meant to do is to illuminate the shadows and so in illuminating the shadows you're going to shine a light on some pretty awkward things and i think that's where maybe you know sort of we're getting into this conversation here is yeah. what do you do when you shine the light and it's like whoa ah and you don't know who in the room is going to see that right. and say oh me too i want to hear more about that and yes. somebody else will say oh my god me too i cannot even look at that right yes. now and somebody else will say i have never heard of that before that's revolting don't even talk about that you know and you just right. don't often know until it's happened which yeah. of those situations you're in. So, you know, you had when, Justin, when you first invited us here, talked about how do you read a room. And, yes. like, in a poem like this, or some of the times, you know, I've done the latest reading I did was with Justin at the Garnet. And, you know, I'll start a poem. And it ends up being inflection. So mm. if I look out into the crowd and I see people on the edge of their seat and they're listening keenly, I'm like, okay, it's quite possible they're ready for anything. Mm. And they're receiving everything, so I will read it as intended. Right. If I see people looking a little askance, looking a little nervous, looking into their drinks, looking at their watches, <laughs> you know, maybe it's time to light the stage. But then, you know, those are the two extremes. Right. So I will read in between those things. And if I see somebody having some kind of visceral reaction, I will try, if I, if this crowd is small enough, I can see them, t- try to check it out and try to mm. alter my tone as I read. It's really hard to do. It's really hard to do effectively, and you just never know. That's the thing, right? I have to see what, what I really appreciate what you just did now for us is that you gave us the context. And I know when I read, uh, and maybe I go overboard, but I try to tell people everything they need to know to make sense out of it. Because I hate sitting there, and I made the remark, I think, the first poetry show, you know, uh, who was it? One of the big big stars of early 20th century poetry, Pound, or William Carlos Williams, or Charles Wilson, or someone said, you know, and a reporter asked him, but sir, what does it mean? And he read the poem again. <laughs> right, exactly. And I hate that. <laughs> yeah. I like the explanation. A little context. A little context. Yeah. 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 So I guess we it's like yin or yang. We all vary on that continuum of no context or a lot of context. Yeah, and I think, again, that depends on the context of the reading itself. Do you give context? Do you not? You look like you might be ready you, to... Uh, Joelle? Just, or, no? Well, Joelle. I just don't... Well, speaking of context, (laughs) um, I will give some context for the poetry that I'm about to read. It is by Anne Boyer. She's a poet and essayist from Kansas, uh, and her work, Garments Against Women, um, 
is, is a chronicle of her experiences as a single mother and someone who deals with uh, chronic illness and then the space that she um, is in, in which she grapples with um, making time for creative to be creative. Anyway. Okay. I get, I get spam from Versailles. It seems like all my life I have gotten images of hard-ons in the mail. What is the difference between happiness and pornography? I mean, what is the difference between literature and photography? It would be easy at first to confuse that which makes us happy and that which makes us aroused. It would be easy at first to confuse documentation and duplication. What I like on this earth is the company of bright young men. I am not a fan of infirmity, though it does supply the opportunity for some relief. It is all the self-expression that makes me so ashamed. In the comment boxes of a popular fashion blog, someone suggested any documentation of individual expression is in fact antisocial rather than pro-social, in that it is a record of individuation from the human mass. There are those who hate the expression of any self that is not their own or like their own. They do not find happiness in the fact that day after day women and men take photos of themselves wearing clothes, never the same outfit twice. Maynard Shelley wrote something like, Creative power is the creative aspect of power reflecting our ability to create psychological resources in space. Other things that cause discomfort. People picking through the trash for their food. Mm. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> this passage uh, feels relevant to this conversation because I feel like uh, in readings, in terms of what can be pro-social or anti-social or divisive or um, therapeutic, it just varies from context to context so much and from person to person. Um, and you know if what someone's going to take out of a reading is extremely limited to their own internal capacity uh, to to and and willingness to um, be open to um, difficult or challenging expressions um, and it makes a lot of people uncomfortable and I don't know that there's anything as a reader that you can do to safeguard against right. someone else's um, limitations. And, right. and and also their political point point of view as well. Some people, you know, the political, the personal is um, is just <laughs> should should not be brought into the realm of the of the public for lots of people. Indeed. And, yeah. But um, I don't know if any of of that was. Uh, no, no, that, that's it. it. By the way, we are listening to Pints and Politics. Uh, we are going to take a 30-40 second break for some music. This is the end of part one, and when we come back at the end of music, uh, we will have part two, continuing this discussion. Mm -hmm. 